Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Matt and Braden here, and we're sitting with a great guest today and next week, Rick Thompson. It's a two-parter. This week is part one of his story, and he's got an incredible story of, of where he was at and now where God has brought him to, and we're really, really excited to hear part one today. Rick is part of our Pure Freedom journey. He helps lead in that. He leads some guys. He leads a small group. Um, he, he does some Facebook Lives on the Pure Freedom journey. And if you're listening to this and you're just going like, man, I'm, just, I'm looking for resources. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for support to get out of porn. I just want to stop porn. I want to stop uh, fantasy, masturbation, whatever your sexual vice is that's, that's hindering you, that's a stronghold in your life. Really, really consider the Pure Freedom journey. Guys are getting free. Guys, even from day one, are getting free and they're growing in intimacy with Jesus. They're growing in just their confidence and and getting the junk out, getting the dirt out. And uh, and and so the community is amazing. The Pure Freedom Journey. There's weekly teachings through video, audio, transcript. There's Facebook lives with different trainers every week. There's a Facebook group for guys. There's small group support. There's lots and lots of different avenues of support. So consider the Pure Freedom Journey. Go to RestoredMinistries.ca. Rick is involved in that. I'm involved, and Braden actually helps out with Facebook Live sometimes, and and we have different voices in there. So you can find that again at RestoredMinistries.ca. Well, we're excited today to get into this uh, story with Rick Thompson. And so, Rick, why don't you just kind of start by sharing a bit? You can share about how you started into pornography and where that kind of led to in your life. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess uh, my journey starts like a lot of the the journeys start here. You know, I was young. We had uh, moved to Alberta. I was about 11, and uh, we lived next to a, a peat moss harvesting plant. And so there was a lot of tractors and stuff driving around, and I was out 
building forts and shooting squirrels and uh, I came across a magazine. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget the moment I, I opened it up and by myself in the bush and didn't really know what to think. And it was just, it was so enticing. And also at the same time, just felt uh, immediate shame. I'd never talked to uh, my parents or no one had talked to me about like what even pornography really was, but uh, it, it's so crazy. There was an instant shame and but at the same time, I knew I couldn't throw it away. I had to, and I couldn't bring it to the house, but I couldn't throw it away. So I had to find somewhere to hide it and um, went back and forth. I found a little place to hide it out in the bush and I go back and forth. And the enticing thing for me was just, uh, I love to read. And even at that age, love to read. And it was just, it was the stories and they just got me. And I would read the stories over and over again. And uh, there wasn't even any masturbation involved at the time. Like I said, I was like 12 years old. Um, as I started playing hockey more and as I got into uh, staying in town after school, pretty much end up living at my one friend's house, go home every once in a while to sleep. And we'd come across it and we were talking about this uh, convenience stores. They used to tear the magazine covers off, toss them out. And, you know, someone would find the jackpot and you'd find, you know, four or five magazines and like a bunch of... Uh, rabid dogs we'd all just jump on the pile of them flip through them and then kind of go about our ways and people would take them i was always too scared to uh to bring them home um i grew up in a like a pastor's home and then we moved to alberta and he continued to uh, my dad was a pastor here as well so it was uh i knew i couldn't bring it home but i'd still never talked to anyone or like just even in youth, no one ever brought it up. And so through high school, it was kind of kind of like that. It was just, you'd see it here and there. Um, obviously, you begin um, with masturbation and that, and that sort of stuff. But everything was really, really private, that sort of stuff. It was, it was always very secretive. It was always very um, shameful. And so it was a very hidden thing for myself. Um, I, I started dating... Um, who became my my wife? It would have been about 1994, I guess. I'm, I'm dating myself for all the young guys who are going to listen to this. But uh, started dating her, and she kind of drew a line in the sand. I was doing a lot of partying um, every Friday and Saturday night. There was no bigger hockey teams in town. There was no junior team at that time. There's no men's team, and so Friday and Saturday nights, like we'd fill the local arena i mean it's only 200 people but we thought we were a big deal at that time and um i was the captain of the of the the team and i it came with some prestige that I, I thought at the, the time so you know you'd go out after and you'd party and um have a good time and when i started dating her she was a very good christian girl and she drew a line in the sand and said you know no more partying no more i used to chew a lot of tobacco <laughs> Uh, just all that sort of stuff. She typical hockey guy. <laughs> yeah, real, real cool. And so, kind of stopped the partying life. Um, uh, got more involved with the church and youth and that sort of stuff. And um, kind of had a, a passion to. I started actually working in grade twelve. I started working with the junior highs because um, the my youth pastor at the time found out I. I wasn't scared to speak in public, so had me a few a few devotionals and that sort of stuff, and um, it felt really good to um, present that side of myself to people. Because if I was going and partying or I was doing bad stuff, um, no one knew. Like the, my church friends didn't know, and my parents never knew um, until I told them after I was in Bible college. And so graduated, um, was still dating. Um, 
same girl and I, I went to uh, I took a year off and just worked and I uh, got a little bit more I started picking up magazines every now and then and I would read them and masturbate and then just feel horrendous and I would just actually throw them out um, never they never lasted even a whole night in the house and I was still living at my parents house at that time and then as soon as I kind of could I, I moved to Edmonton started Bible college there in uh, 1997 and just rented a little bachelor suite all to myself and uh, got a computer. It was the crappiest computer in the world and uh, it had no internet access. It was just like glorified typewriter for the most part, the orange the orange and black screen, just terrible. But I started uh, buying magazines and then, and then keeping them. You can buy magazines that had uh, DVDs with them. And so then you had, it was kind of the next level for me as that started to grow that bit there and then uh through the first uh, semester of bible college met some you know some good friends and stuff and ended up moving in moving out of that place and moving into uh, a two-bedroom apartment with a guy and then uh, that same christmas my parents uh, sprung big and got me a, a legit computer um and uh that was the not not that it was their fault. I don't mean to put that on them, but that was the that was the start of the rabbit hole for me. Uh, it was years of um, secrecy and that sort of stuff led to um, finding. I, I clicked the little down arrow um, that used to be on the old Internet Explorer, and um, there was a couple sites there. That I was like, oh, I'd never seen something like that before. So I just clicked on them and I I followed and began a, probably a fifteen or so year journey of uh, losing my life to pornography and to a sex addiction that uh, I never thought that that clicking on one little arrow um, would do. I would stay up all night and be have an hour left to do my homework and get to class and, and just sleepless nights. And then uh, I started going to uh, uh, peep shows and I went numerous times. You put your quarters in. Um, when I talk about it, it just sounds so crazy, but um, you go and you put your your money in, you watch a video, you masturbate, and then you leave. It just sounds so stupid now, but uh, I got really into going to those. And then uh, there was a time I went and the, a note came under the door, you know, open your door, I'll give you a blowjob. And in my mind, I thought, though, you know, there must be a girl on the other side. And it was that very enticing. I cracked the door and it was a, a very small Asian man there. And I freaked out. I pulled the door closed and pushed him out at the same time because he was trying to get in. And I just absolutely freaked out. And I was, the place I went, you got coins. So I just threw all, threw all the coins on the, there's a bench, there was a bench in there. I threw them all. And I just, I beelined out. I'm like, I am never going back to that place. So creeped out. But uh, as addictions go, you start thinking about stuff and I end up going back. And um, that kind of became, uh, as my doctor explained years later, it was kind of my cocaine I was okay with, um, you know, a little bit of beer or whiskey for months and months on end, but I needed, I needed the big high and I didn't even realize it. And you, I would think about it and then I start to make plans and all that sort of stuff. So I finished, uh, I actually, I got married before I finished Bible college to the same girl and I'd been to massage parlors at this time and end up having to sell some things the first time I went. Cause I didn't even, I didn't understand how much it would cost going to one of those places. So I only had a little bit of cash on me. So, you know, like I left my car keys and um, license there and had to go actually to a pawn shop and sell some stuff so I could come back and, and pay the rest of my tab off. And just 
um, you sink to levels and no one knew this was going on. I'm totally stressed out because I don't know where I'm going to come up with this money and that sort of stuff. And I was heavily involved in the church, so much so that uh, um, my, my grades were actually suffering pretty bad. But I loved working with the youth and I loved um, the side of it where, you know, I could go lead a service um, musically and then preach. And everyone in my life thought, you know, this guy is a great guy. Um, he loves Jesus. He um, is doing everything right possible. And there was even, it's crazy what God does in spite of all the crap you're carrying around and you have in your life. It's um, kind of mind-blowing. And so I had a very successful youth ministry going on. School was going poorly because I hated being there. Ended up transferring schools from, what's well, it's Vanguard now, and then uh, uh, Taylor University. And I actually ended up getting put on um, academic probation. Just my, my marks weren't up to snuff. And they're like, you're never here. You're passing, but just barely. And then there was one I was under, I was under the passing grades. And so it was the same thing I got all through high school too. It was like, you have so much potential. Like the stuff you turn in is so good, but like you don't turn anything in. And, and I was just newly married at this time. And um, I made a big story actually why I was getting put on probation and not thinking anyone would check in. But my father-in-law at the time, he was so outraged that the school would do this to me because I made up the story. He actually phoned the dean at the school and said, you know, I think he's being treated unfairly. And the guy's like, this is why he's not going. Like, this is why we put him on probation, not for any of these reasons. And so it was kind of the first time I got caught, caught in a lie. And I just kind of apologized my way out of it. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was just so embarrassed. And he's like, yeah, no, I get that. That would be embarrassing and stuff. And um, I ended up never finishing um, Bible college there. I started working at a cabinet shop. And it was usually about once a month, I would just say I was feeling sick. And I would stay home. And there was a, a small place down the down the road where I would I would rent a couple of videos and I'd come home and just have like a massive uh just stay home masturbate watch porn day um and the binge eh like, binge, like exactly yeah a porn binge yeah. yeah um that was exactly the word I was looking for and just feel horrendous and then you know swear it off and then you know I'm never gonna do it again and it was still I, we didn't really have good internet at the house and I was a little bit scared of using our computer too. Cause I didn't want to get caught. So th that was kind of my outlet. And then that would happen a couple of times. And then, you know, every, you know, three, four months and I ended up going back to the, the peep show. And then uh, this went on and on. And uh, the peep show was, I don't know safe isn't the right way, but it, it was five bucks to get in. That was your admission. So it was easy as far as money went where I wasn't buying anything like that like rent a movie back then it was a couple bucks a movie sort of thing so everything i did was as far as i was concerned was safe because it wasn't a questionable thing like oh like you took out 20 bucks oh yeah i bought some chips rented a movie whatever and then they bought some coffees and so i didn't have these subscriptions or like you hear about lots of guys you know when you know tens of thousands of dollars in debt with um cams and all that sort of stuff but um i was way too scared to get caught for that so we moved back to drayton when we moved back, the youth pastor here, he resigned and uh, they just kind of slotted us in because that's what I've been doing. But we were so overtaxed in Edmonton that uh, we were going to take a step back from ministry, not do anything. We were just tired and stuff. And it was a two week thing. And they're like, hey, would you mind running it in the interim? And uh, it took a few years before they actually end up hiring someone. And so we just we just ran it and 
everything on the outside of my life just looked just sparkly clean amazing and we lived in uh drayton for a while and then uh we had our first child in 2003 so this is the same girl that drew a line in the sand back in high school and so we're talking marriage virgin never done really anything wrong so she really didn't have anything to draw off of as far as suspicions and i was super careful and um sneaky so we had our first um i had a little girl and at uh i remember holding her for the first time and just like i can never ever go back to pornography because you know it's i would never want my little girl involved in that and so it was it was a good six seven months that you know i just i hadn't even thought about it i wasn't going back you know i was changing everything and uh it was just a a, a huge um downhill spiral when i when i acted out for the first time again um it was the peep shows were involved and it was just like a three or four day thing where it just it was non-stop and then so this went on for another two or so years and then um in 2006 uh we had our uh our, my first boy we had him and it was, it was sort of the same thing i remember holding him and i'm like i don't want him to be like me my wife at the time she didn't know why i was crying but like, i was bawling because I was like, I don't want him to have all this junk that I have. You know, my dad got charges against him and stuff. And I remember waiting at home for my dad to get, he had to do weekends in prison. I remember I'd stay up all night till my dad would get home and then I'd run to bed. Wow. And so there, there was a lot of uh, baggage and that sort of stuff that I was carrying. And I just didn't want him to to have all that. And yeah. mm-hmm. so I, I was out of it again for a long time. I don't actually remember the timeline of it. And then I eventually, I got back into it again. The first time you act out after being months and months and months away, man, the the amount of shame and just the crushing feeling, just the heaviness. And I know now, but I I didn't know at the time because like you kind of put all those files away, kind of like a computer where, you know, it's in the file and it's not, you don't open it anymore. It's like all that stuff that you'd put away is just like, boom, it's back. So Rick... You've you, uh, coming up to that point. It sounds like you were living a tale of two lives, kind of thing, right? Two worlds that were separate. Um, what happened when those worlds collided? I know that often with an addiction, we try to keep that one world hidden, like you said. Yeah. But what uh, break down for us? What it, what did it look like when those two worlds finally collided, and you, it just it was hard to come back from? Yeah, we we got to jump ahead about four years, so it was uh, December eleventh, um, two thousand nine. And uh, so we were a couple months short of our uh, 10th anniversary, actually. And so we had a third child now at this time as well. So you used to have to buy your minutes and all that sort of crap. And so we, I had a cell phone just because I had my own business. I was at work and I started phoning um, to listen to the recordings of sex lines. And they're all long distance numbers, which I didn't clue into. And so we get this whopping, it's 500 and something dollar phone bill. Oh, no. My wife phoned me at work and she just, she was coming unglued because she'd looked into it and she called a couple of the numbers because she like printed off the report and she's like, These, this is what it is. And so I called and I'd had my phone in for some repairs. So I had a loaner and I had, so like there was, right in the middle of this debacle that I was in. Um, so I called TELUS and I'm like, this wasn't me. This is a bunch of crap. And I got a, a, a younger fellow for what he sounded like. And looking back now, I think he was just sympathetic to, he knew I was in a lot of crap at home. And so he just wiped the charges of us. And then I was like, you know, 
I actually came at my wife at the time and I was, I was pretty big jerk. Like, how dare you, how dare you come at me with this sort of stuff? And, um, of course the next month it was a carryover of the, the same charges I quit. Like when I got caught, I quit. I was like, oh my gosh, like I was an idiot to not realize these are long distance numbers, all that sort of stuff. But then uh, there was a carryover. And when I called TELUS the second time, I got a, a very unsympathetic lady who um, kind of told me she knew I was, I was lying about it. But I'd been, you know, we'd never missed a payment in years. And so she flagged my account and said, you know, you'll never get out of any sort of charge again, whether it was legit on their end or not. And, but she wiped the charges again. So I kind of did the, you know, how dare you again? And she took me at my word, but at the same time, I knew she really didn't. Um, Some suspicion started to raise in her mind. And then I don't know if you guys remember, there was an old Kirk Cameron movie that came out and uh, we were in the the Christian bookstore and I'm like, you know what? We should buy this. This this would probably be a good movie. I totally set myself up and we got about three quarters away through the movie. She just paused it. And she's like, was it only the one time that you ever looked? And was it you on the computer those years ago? I'm like, no, it wasn't me on the computer. You know what I did? I looked a few times in Bible college and, you know, there was never a problem, that sort of stuff. And, you know, asked for forgiveness. And um, she was very, very hurt. Like, we, I don't even know if we ended up finishing the movie, to be honest. And she went for a big, long walk with her mom the next day. And her mom she backed me in a way that I didn't deserve. She's like, you know, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, men make mistakes too. And, you know, there's a lot of shame and basically convinced my wife that uh, she should forgive me. And so there's all this craziness going on and she starts now having dreams. I've lied myself out of every situation at this point, but um, I started lying. Lying became my biggest vice. Like I lied about everything for no reason. Um, I don't know if you've ever had tunnel vision, but um, there was like such a weight of lies and crap. I actually got tunnel vision and I had passed out. And so that was the, that was the second time I had passed out. There was another wow. time I had passed out. And the first time my uh, wife at the time, she's a very small lady and she tried, and I'm not a small man. And so she actually tried to physically catch me and she hurt her back. Oh no. Stuff and um, so I, I went through the whole gamut of getting brain scans and stuff because I thought, well, maybe he's got something going on, and then I passed everything. And then we're talking to one, he was a younger doctor. He's like, Well, this just sounds like a vegan vagal attack. And I'm like, Well, what's that? He's like, Well, your body's just under too much stress. He's like, Usually people are hiding something like a big secret or, or something, and uh, uh, so the, the, this is a common, you know, in that sort of situation. He's like, it's like a computer. There's just too many windows open. And so it freezes and then you have to reset it. It says that basically your body does the same thing. There's just too much going on and your body just resets. And so now that this has happened the second time, like questions really began to fly and there was a lot of distrust. Um, and then she started having really bad dreams and definitely Holy Spirit dreams where she, there were snakes in the bed, which I mean, if you get into reading about prophet or prophecies and stuff, like that's a, there's lies in your home, that sort of stuff. And um, really terrible dreams about me doing things, not sexual things, but doing things out of my character. And uh, it just got to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. And we'd been at a, I remember the day because we were at a, my daughter's first um, Christmas 
pageant thing at the Christian school. And we came home. It was just a fantastic night. We went to bed. And then she woke up in the middle of the night, wake me. She's like, you have to tell me what's going on because there's something. I'm having these dreams. And I, I was making her feel crazy for her dreams and stuff. I'm like, oh, and you're, you're nuts. So like, I don't know why you're having dreams like that. And just total jerk. And uh, at that point, I just, I don't even know what it was. I have, I have no idea. I just said, well, here's it here. Here's, here's my stuff. And just, I dumped a whole pile of it on her. Not all of it, not even close to all of it, but enough that, you know, we talked for a couple hours and then um, I was so exhausted because I, I don't remember exactly how we were arranged, but we were in our bedroom and kind of, laying down talking and I just passed out cold and uh, I woke up and she and the kids were gone. Hmm. And so, like I said, I told her um, about having, a. I told her straight up, like I have a porn addiction. It's almost a daily thing at that point. And um, I was actually sneaking to her brother's house using his computer because I got caught once on. So I, I was really, really good friends with him. So we'd be chatting with, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm two hours West of town or whatever. I'm like, perfect. And so I would sneak over there and I'd use, like I had my own business. And so um, you'd be doing new shelves in a person's house or whatever. And okay, well we're gone for the day or whatever. And I would use their computers, just like stuff I could have gotten arrested for probably if they wanted to press charges because people have their money and stuff on their computers and all their yeah. bank codes. And like, that's a huge breach of privacy. And so, yeah, everything just came and kind of came just crashing down. Um, I got a hold of her on the phone when I finally woke up and she's like, you need to get your stuff figured out. Um, you need to call the church. You need to resign. Uh, you need to do all this. So I got a hold of my pastor, uh, the, the head pastor there. He's like, well, so I don't want to take your resignation. He's like, I don't think you understand how normal this is. And I mean, oh. at, at that point I hadn't, my whole story wasn't even close to out. But um, he's like, I have a guy I want you to go see. He says, we're going to hold off on the resignation. You go see him. And um, I said, he says he actually, um, because you're with the PAOC, you might get in faster, that sort of jazz. And uh, when I first phoned, um, so was, uh, he referred me to Dr. Simon Shea, who still works here in Edmonton. And when I first called, he's like, she's like, he's booked up for like months. Like he's, he does all the... Uh, Payock churches in Edmonton and Red Deer and like he he's super busy then I got a um it was on the phone and just a complete miracle she's like actually someone just canceled can you be here Tuesday and so it was like it was like a four-day wait like it was just the weekend and then Monday Tuesday and a guy who had been completely booked for years it's really tough to get in and just opened up and I started my journey, my journey with him. I remember I was super nervous and uh, actually my father-in-law went with me at the time and he's like, well, I'll take you in or whatever because they're just trying to help me out. They're amazing people. And I told them more than I told my wife that evening. And so we booked an hour and luckily there was, he didn't have someone right after me because I ended up going close to two hours. And I told them all the stuff I was willing to tell them. I told him about the peep shows, but not the interaction with other people. And there was some stuff I, I just held back. I don't remember exactly, but there was a lot I held back on. And uh, I was kind of exhausted from just going on and on. And then he, he said, okay, I'll just stop you there for today. And then he came at me. Um, 
He's like, this is what you've done to your family. This is what you've done to your church. This is what you've done to your wife. This is what you've done to your soul. This is what you've done to Jesus. And he went into this big thing about how I was taking Jesus with me into these peep shows and like uh, made it so real to me. And I'm just sitting there, like I'm quaking and like just weeping um, with like realization of he's like, this is what you did to someone's daughter over and over again, like watching her um, and that sort of stuff. And I don't know how he knew it, but I, I was at the point I was like, I got to get out of here because like, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. He's like, he says, you are the worst thing I've ever seen as far. He says, I've done this for years. I've written books. He says, but you were the worst case I've ever seen. I hadn't even told him everything at that point. Wow, <laughs> wow. Hey. And so I'm just like, my, I felt like my hair was blowing back. Like there was a <laughs> in a wind tunnel. I was just getting all this uh, stuff just thrown back in my face completely deserved and it was it was something i needed but i was about to break and i was about to leave because i just i couldn't take anymore he says but and he just stopped dead and like he came at me hard like and that's the only time he came at me that hard and like his whole countenance softened he said but if you get on the horse now he says with jesus help and if you keep coming back here you can get better and it was like i was ready to break and all of a sudden i was it was a different break it was like, I can get better. I never really thought about getting better. I just always thought about the hiding. I always thought about, you know, what lie do I need to tell to cover the next lie? I never thought about getting better. And I didn't even know what that meant. He just kind of let me weep there for a while. And he says, are, are, is this something you want? And I said, I said, you have no idea. I said, I've, this is exactly what I need. I need to get better. And I mean, at that point, part of it was I didn't want to lose my marriage and I didn't want a whole bunch of people to know because that was always something even after I come out of the peep show and I get in my car and I just feel so shameful and actually that was when my wife's dream started actually I came out the one time I said I'm never coming back here but I'm never telling anyone ever in my whole life will everyone ever anyone find out but I'm going to quit was my big speech it was that night she started having dreams it was like holy spirit was like well there's there's nothing left to do here so we're gonna go after like the next closest thing so yeah that began my journey with dr shay and he gave me some stuff to read and uh his book if you sit down and read it only takes about an hour hour and 20 minutes and i devoured the whole thing on the way home uh from edmonton back to drayton valley and we started seriously working and i worked hard i read everything i did everything I never, I never sought out porn from the time I did the first partial confession on December 11th till now. That that was broken. I don't know if it was the it was just the finally being honest about it and sharing it, but for me, I began a, a journey of learning how to be honest and learning how to just get rid of all the crap that was in my life. So I mean, I had I had a miracle as far as not having a desire for pornography. But I, I worked with Dr. Shea for four and a half years until I'll, I'll never forget the session. He's like, he's like, we're done here. Like we talked about the Oilers for 25 minutes. Like <laughs> this is a, I mean, it was a hundred and I think by the end it was 180 bucks an hour. And I mean, I, I hundreds of sessions. Yeah. I, was, I was in absolute crazy debt because of trying to pay for counseling and stuff. I never, I'd never told anyone about that at the time, but you know, I went, it was, it was worth it in, in the fact that I kept seeing him 
I remember one time you were telling guys that the the price you paid for freedom, going all the counseling, getting accountability blockers. You said you don't miss the money, but if you didn't spend the money, you would miss the freedom that you right that you have right now. Yeah, and I remember you saying that, and it stood out to me. It was just so powerful to put that in perspective. Like whatever it takes, whatever price I have to pay to get free, it's just so worth the freedom that you have right now. And and you've been free over ten years from porn, and like like you say, it's not just about getting free from porn it's about learning it's about growing and learning who you are and has as a person and how to be honest and how to get your heart right and build relationships and all those things you're able to work on and uh, and when our focus is on porn so often we just kind of think like let's get free from porn but you were like Fine, let's get free from porn but then let's go through four and a half years of investing money and time into learning and growing as a person i think that's amazing so then you confessed to your wife you never went back to porn after that uh, you woke up though she was gone the kids were gone now you're in counseling and so what happened then moving forward with your wife and your kids oh there was a it was a pretty crazy show around our lives so I did end up resigning um, actually never went back to that church even I wasn't doing any of that anymore but uh, I remember I went and saw Doug he's just a fantastic he's such a caring compassionate man he's like no like we want to walk with you and stuff and I'm like I can't I can't go back in here and I, I didn't understand forgiveness well at that point I, I didn't understand that people would be like you know what we get it and you know you you screwed up big but no we'll we'll walk with you but uh, I said I, I can't come back and in the back of my mind I'm like I'm never going to church again this, my whole life of church as an adult had been about, you know, this, this facade of I needed people to think highly of me in the Christian circle. So I could feel a little bit better about how terrible I was when I was by myself, my wife at the time, um, incredible grace as well that she showed, um, more than definitely I deserved her dad. It was a few days after, I had done a little confession and he called me and says, I want to come see you. Cause she, she stayed at her parents' house for a while. He goes, I want to come see you. We need to talk. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, well, I mean, I know I deserve a good beating and he's probably going to come with a bat, but you know, we, you know, I've got a man up and I'll just take whatever he's got. And uh, we sat down at the kitchen table and he started to cry. <laughs> he's like, I'm so sorry you went through this. And we want to help you and no matter what you're still my son and all this just beautiful stuff and just sat across from me and offered me this grace i'm like what's going on like this isn't this isn't what this was supposed to be like i, I wanted i wanted a beating and i i know now but at the time i was so scared of the the interaction with him he just there was just so much grace that came across the table and i was like i don't even know what to do with this amazing and amazing. So, and uh, so my mother-in-law and father all the time, they, they jumped in two feet and they were going to help me through this. And my brother-in-law, my sister, my sister's oldest sister's husband, he jumped in, he wanted to help. And I random, randomly ran into a few other guys and I ran into an old friend I used to play hockey with and we kind of drifted apart. We were both kind of the people were like, well, whatever you pick up the conversation four months later, you can still be buddies sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah. And he just saw me, I, would, I was dropping the kids off for hockey or skating something. And he was on his way in. He's like, man, are you okay? He says, he says, I don't want to be like a jerk. He's like, you look rough. Hmm. 
And so in the parking lot of our local arena, I just, <laughs> here's my, wow, hey. and he, he, he wasn't like, expecting that. No. But then again, it was just like, he's like, oh, I want to walk with you, man. He's like, there's a lot of guys in our church who says probably have this problem. And he says like, I'd like to hear your story and um, like hear what you're doing with Dr. Shea and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, I just kept getting more and more grace. And, but I was such a liar that I was still giving people what I figured they could handle and like what I thought they needed. And so it took about three months um, to, to finally get all of the, the story out. And I'd always wait till there was a little bit of trust built back up. And then I would say, actually, you know what? There's this too. Sorry. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to make light of it. It's been described to me now as, you know, tearing the stitches out. And I mean, there's a few things I wish I knew. Like if you listen to any Ted Roberts stuff, he, he won't let a guy do a confession to his wife until like he's six months down the road yeah. and like staggered confession. I didn't know that was a thing. But staggered confession is a, a fairly normal thing for any addict across the board because they're scared. They, they don't trust anyone and they don't yeah. think anyone should trust them. Yeah. Staggered confession being where you just confess a little bit and then a little yeah. bit more another time and a little bit more another time. Yeah. So it got to the point and even, even the last couple of confessions, all the really enormous stuff was out, but there was certain situations we were driving down the white mud the one day and she asked me a question about um, years before that I'd, I'd gone to my sister's house and fixed some doorknobs. And it just took me like a really long time to get home. And after fixing the doorknobs, I picked some furniture up and then, but it took me the entire day. Well, I'd obviously gone to the peep shows and all that sort of stuff while I was in town and wasted hours there. And she, we're just driving and I, I straight up lied to her about it. I'm like, no, no, I didn't do that that time, Michelle's. And she's like, man, this is a weird one because like, she's doing like the mental calculation. And she's a smart lady. Like it wasn't it wasn't like a, I was dealing with like someone who couldn't like didn't have good cognitive abilities. And it was weeks later and I still can't watch the movie. We're watching Up and she's like, I need to talk to you in the kitchen. She's like, I know that you lied about this. And I just I don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I did lie about it. I'm, I'm really sorry. And that was actually the, that was the last straw for her. She's like, I can't take any more lies. And she went upstairs and she phoned her counselor and was on the phone for a long time. And I still hadn't moved back in. Um, I was living at a person's house out of town. And that was kind of the, we had spent some nights in the same room during counseling, but never shared a bed again. Like we never actually shared a bed again, ever. Right. She was very guarded for good reason, uh, but she was very guarded and I uh, wanted to um, take it obviously really slow. It was 15 years of lies that she was kind of trying to sift through. Yeah. And, uh, she said, my counselor wants me to take an emotional break from you. So I actually don't even want to hear any more of your counseling stories. I don't want to hear any more of like, how good you're doing because I was having a lot of, even with these loans, I'm having a lot of victories. Like I was starting to, I didn't use my emotions for seven or eight years. Like I was just, a, I was a dead person other than like two or three times, like holding my son or I would just, and that's why I would, and I didn't know this at the time. That's why when the emotions actually set in, I was a mess. Like I would cry forever, but it was just, you know, I'd have three or four years of emotions all banked up like anger and and sadness all of these things and I, I would just you know it would 
all just burst. Yeah, your body had to get it out. Yeah. So Dr. Shea says he's like, you're like a four year old in the you know thirty five year old's body. It's emotionally wise, like the way you deal with your emotions, like. And uh, so there was, that was kind of the beginning of the end as far as the marriage went. Um, she began to do her own healing separate from me doing my own healing. And uh, I would keep her updated. And she had access to like my three guys, the two guys named Kyle and one, named, one guy named Corey. She had full access to talk to them about like what I was going through and sharing with them. And um, she just, she didn't, she didn't want to know. She wanted to be removed. And um, I would go there most evenings and we would talk and we would talk and we would talk. And at that point, um, when she emotionally removed herself from me, um, there was no more. That part of our journey ended. So that's it for part one of Rick Thompson's story. Thanks for hanging out with us. And make sure to stay tuned for next week, part two, where Rick concludes the story and talks about the, where he's gotten to, the freedom that he's gotten to, and you don't want to miss it. So stay tuned. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.